The following is a hoop ball presentation. I am your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. This is a hoop ball presentation, as I literally always say. So check out Hoop Ball on Twitter at Hoop Ball Tweets, online hoop ball.com. Today is Friday, otherwise known as Friday. Literally, I don't know who says that. Um, yeah, I see it on social media all the time, but I actually don't know who says Friday. I uh, don't know why I said it. Apologies. Anyways, today's Friday, November 19th. And, you know, I've been just getting myself back into the swing of things podcast-wise here. Had tech issues, had personal issues, just a bunch of things here. So, I figured we're going to have a general just NBA chat. Talk about my Lakers a little bit. Do a little bit of um, some uh, of a mailbag episode because I was very, very grateful to just a ton of friends on Twitter for sending me questions that I'll be able to answer here. And just have a generally fun ramble about the round ball. So, (laughs) let's get to that right now. First... We have a little bit of news, and this is related to Ben Simmons, who, quite frankly, I am tired of talking about, like, really, really tired of talking about him. I have no energy to spend on the guy, but apparently, the 76ers have a list of 30 players they would accept for Ben Simmons, which, this is according to the athletic Sam Amick, um, none are seemingly available at this moment, but the 76ers are reportedly confident that between 5 to 10 of them will be with will be available within the next year or two. What? Like, that's that's my reaction to that. What? Whether or not he returns to the court, that's unclear. Daryl Morey said he's willing to sit this baby out. Like, he said this could take years. This could be four years. He said this um, in a recent interview with 97.5 The Fanatic, basically saying that's, that's the length of Simmons' contract. That is not a day-to-day thing, quote, this is every day we're going to expect Ben Simmons to be back here or we're trading him for a difference maker. There's no other outcome that doesn't materially hurt our chance to win the championship in Joel Embiid's prime, end quote. Like, like what? This is just confusing to me on a number of levels because you, you are hurting Joel Embiid's chances in his prime right now. Because guess what? The 76ers have two things they don't have right now. They don't have a difference maker and they don't have Ben Simmons because he is not playing. So right now you have Joel Embiid and a very, very courageous yet undermanned 76ers roster that right now is not a championship contender. It just isn't. You'd be better off right now having already traded Simmons, made peace with that, gotten your picks and a couple players in exchange and just moved on from there. But no, that's not what has happened so far. So absolutely, Darren Moore is waiting out for Joel Embiid's prime. That's exactly what's happening. Um... Amy goes on to report that Damian Lillard, James Harden, and Bradley Beal are all on Philadelphia's list of difference makers. That's great. Damian Lillard is not available until next year, so there's a year gone for Joel Embiid. James Harden, as of now, is not available, so guess what? Another year gone for Joel Embiid, and Bradley Beal also is not available, so that doesn't mean anything. Um, 
definitely not sure why Beal would consider leaving, being that the Wizards are 10-4 in leading the Eastern Conference, while Harden is going to be a free agent next year anyway, but more than likely looks to be staying in Brooklyn. So again, I just don't understand why the hesitation to make a move for a player who doesn't want to be there and isn't helping you out. That's that's where I'm at on it. Um, according to Keith Pompey, there was a rumored um, discussion for a trade involving Jeremy Grant from Detroit. So James Harden would go or not James Harden, James Harden's on the list of, of like, potential um, interest makers, I guess you could say, for Philadelphia. But basically, the, the, the framework of the deal would be Ben Simmons going to Detroit, Jeremy Grant coming back. But, like, again, I mean, if that happens, that's something. Jeremy Grant, you know, it's been a rough start uh, for a Pistons team that, yes, admittedly hasn't been good, although they've been finding their stride and has something to do with the fact that they've also had the return of Cade Cunningham. But, like, for the season, 18 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists. That's not great. I mean, less production than you get from Ben Simmons. He's shooting 40% from the field and 30% from three. Not good either, so yuck. But, I mean, if we're thinking that this is a rough patch, then you take... Um, Jeremy Grant's 2020 season with the Pistons, where he averaged 20 points, just five rebounds, just under three assists, shot 35% from three, much more manageable than you have Joel Embiid and like a, a construct of really tough uh, players who can contribute on the offensive end and really buckle down the defensive end. Like you can at least kind of form your brain around that working. Add to that a couple picks and you know uh, another player or two, maybe it's a young guy from Detroit's roster, another vet, and, and you're set. Um, that's not the ideal trade, of course, that you're looking for in a in a trade for a superstar as Ben Simmons. Uh, is widely known as. However, that is something. Something Philadelphia doesn't have right now. And so I'm just not sure um, where Darren Moore is going with this. I don't think it's very smart, though. I really don't. Because you're waiting. And for what exactly? Gudo? <laughs> Shout out to the literature fans out there, y'all. Waiting for Gudo was, uh, was a nice little piece there. Anyways, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I think that Darren Moore is doing the 76ers Joel Embiid, and quite frankly himself, a disservice by just continuing to sit on his hands and not try to make a move for anything. He needs to open up his idea of what a difference maker could be because right now, if you're a positive contributor on a playoff team and you're maybe the second or third best player, I'd say give me uh, the second and third best player plus a couple of picks. Like That's how loosely I'm expanding this trade for because you turn down a deal that would involve Malcolm Brogdon. You want more from Sacramento than Harrison Barnes having an amazing year. You want Tyrese Halliburton or Davion Mitchell, both of which the Kings would be stupid to give you, and they're not that stupid, so they haven't. Like Whoever Daryl Morey is searching for is not available, and rightfully so, so try to find a package of players who would help you that aren't that superstar haul that you could have had last year had you included Ben Simmons in a trade. End of the story. <laughs> Let's get to our next topic. Right, so we've had an influx of news uh, involving front office mismanagement in terms of how they treat their employees, uh, just colleagues, etc. We've had Robert Sauber from the Phoenix Suns, and then we had, of course, Neil Olshay from the Portland Trailblazers. And apparently, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, there was an article he published today, there are reports that NBA executives are continuing discussions to form a professional association which would mirror the National Basketball Coaches Association. Wojnarowski said these discussions predate the investigation into Portland uh, Portland Trailblazers, of course, President of Basketball Operations, Neil O'Shea, likely story, but he also linked that investigation to the matter, saying that Portland's inquiry has further convinced executives that an association would be prudent. Quote, 
Dozens of executives told ESPN that Portland's internal probe has stoked fears that organizations can make decisions to fire top basketball executives for any number of traditional reasons. Team performance, personality conflicts, differing philosophies, and search simultaneously for ways to pursue quote-unquote cause violations in contracts, end quote. Now, I have thoughts on this. I'm going to read another quote real quick. In his nine-plus years running the Trailblazers, the NBA has received no calls to the league office or its tips hotline alleging workplace complaints against Olshay, sources told ESPN. The Blazers' human resource department received no complaints on Olshay until recent weeks, Yahoo Sports reported, end quote. Now, here's my thing. I get why owners would, or front or owners, league execs would be cautious about, or nervous, rather, about them losing their jobs without just cause, like being set up, if you will, um, for the team to basically get them off of their books without having to pay them, and they'd be left out in the cold. Like, I get the concern there, uh, if that was something that had any weight to it. But, like, it isn't. It isn't. Neil O'Shea, apparently, from most accounts, has been a jerk, if nothing else, right? He's created a toxic workplace environment that has not made uh, fellow colleagues comfortable, so they've been venting. And the fact that it hasn't been reported, I, I, I get that as well. Like, nine years is a long time not to have a complaint. At the same time, once it starts ratcheting up in terms of complaints and they start building and building and building, then it can't, then you just hard, it's hard to, to kind of close the door on that. And maybe the door was closed because you had an isolated incident here. Isolated incident there. Neil O'Shea has plenty of pull in the league, you know, as an exec and all that he's done, both with the Blazers and the Clippers before that. And also, for many of these of these people, he's their boss. So, you're not going to, I mean, you want to keep your job, right? Like, you will take a certain amount of abuse because you like your job or, or you realize that, you know, you could be dismissed easily or whatever the case may be. Maybe you're just not used to how you should be treated when you enter a workplace of that type of caliber there's a variety of reasons why there wasn't a complaint brought to the table for a while and then at that point yeah i do think okay something should have been said i do believe that i I really don't like the reports that like stuff has been hidden for like four or five six seven years and all of a sudden it comes out and the floodgates are open like if it's that many people with that much of an issue and nobody said anything like i totally understand that there's some some cases like that for sure um and a lot of that comes down again to the workplace and the culture that's built and and the fear of you know person x y or z but in cases like this where you know half of these people are, are ex-employees and still nothing came out like what do you what do you have to lose at this point that you haven't already potentially put into play now by speaking out about old share sarver that you could have done two three years ago that's just how i look at it so it definitely is different um but with that being said, going back to my original point, like, come on, if they had nothing to hide, or if they had nothing to worry about, then it wouldn't be a problem about putting together a union, I mean, or or association or anything. Like, this isn't something that, in my mind, is, is anything worth kind of having a discussion about, in the sense that, like, this isn't a, a, a big kind of issue around the league. We're not seeing executives from the Indiana Pacers or, you know... I don't know, Charlotte Hornets or anyone else, like, losing their jobs for no reason. Like, the people right now that are under fire deserve to be under fire because of the things that they've done over the years and how it wasn't appropriate then isn't appropriate now, and it's coming under heat. Like, that's that makes sense. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Like, that's what this looks like to me. So, you know, they can keep their union. I guess it's cool, whatever the case may be. Um, I see, again, what the teams are saying. They don't want, quote-unquote, toxic environment and, quote-unquote, hostile workplace to, to kind of trigger a firing for cause basically you know getting out of the years and salary on a player's contract but just don't be a piece of crap
you know? Then there won't be a toxic environment. There won't be a hostile workplace. Don't start no stuff, there won't be no stuff. That's how I look at that. It's kind of simple. You know, you don't want it to be used as cause for firing, then don't be an a-hole. Just don't be an a-hole. And then guess what? There's no one that can say you're an a-hole and you will get fired for being an a-hole. That is like the simplest thing there to me. There it is. Neil O'Shea, come hi, your boy. Um, whoever, come hi, your boy. I'm here. Like, done. Don't want to get fired for being an a-hole? Don't be an a-hole. Like, that's all I got for that, too. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Let's get to the next thing. Got to take a second here and talk about the Lakers. Uh, <laughs> what else do I have to say about the Lakers? Check out the last episode I literally just did with Ron Guterman, a little bit of a State of the Lakers show. We kind of went into what we liked, what we didn't like, while ultimately walking away with the fact that, listen, as disappointing as they have been, it is still very early. We're going to wait till after Christmas to make, like, sweeping just judgment on the Lakers and where they stand. But I can say where they stand as of right now. That's ninth in the Western Conference. That's right. The Los Angeles Lakers, I thought they'd win 50-plus wins. I know a lot of people thought that as well. Nate Duncan, I think, had them at 54 wins. Like, a lot of people had them, like, up there in terms of potential um, win total. And I guess it's still possible, but, like... That's where they're at right now. They're ninth in the West. Uh, just losing to the Milwaukee Bucks two nights ago, 109-102, to in a game that actually was Russell Westbrook's best game, according to Frank Vogel, of the season, where he did average 19 points, 4 rebounds, 15 assists, kept the turnovers low. Taylor Horton Tucker had a double-double. He scored 25 points with 12 boards. Um, that was really about it. AD disappointed. 18 points, 9 boards, 4 assists, but got totally totally dominated by Giannis Tentacumpo, who had 47, uh, many of those at Davis's expense. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, the games that they should have been winning, they had an easier schedule, and now they have a slate of games where they're playing the the, the Celtics uh, tonight at 5.30. Uh, that is a game that LeBron James is questionable for, so there's that. Then the Pistons, which normally you think would be like a, a, a kind of gimme game, but the Lakers have lost most of their gimme games. Thank you, Oklahoma City. So there's that as well. Then it's Knicks, Pacers, Kings, Pistons again, Kings again, and then Clippers. Like, none of those games, in my mind, for this L.A. team are just absolute like, okay, we're going to easily win those. They could win all of them, possibly. They could also lose every one, every single one. I, I could see it. Okay, I almost went when I think Detroit could be L's for the Lakers, but then again, like Oklahoma City is easily one of the worst teams in the NBA, and they went and just handled the Lakers their lunch twice. And my joke, Oklahoma City, I'm not saying they're the worst, one of the worst teams because I haven't watched them play. Like, they're a really scrappy team. Like, their record actually isn't, like, totally bad. I just mean, like, long-term for this season, the team is bad. Like, it is what it is. But they've been playing. They're, like, a really good bad team, and I like that. Where they're going to come out, they might scare you. They're definitely going to get beaten down a couple of times by teams that are just better than them. Just more talent, you know, more fundamentally sound, better coached. And they will take those outs in, 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 in just a sound fashion. But aside from that, like, I don't think you ever want to go, oh, yeah, we got Oklahoma City, like, great, like... SGA could knock 30 on you, you know? Lou Dort has been playing well as well. Like, don't sleep on them cats. Do not sleep on them cats. But anyways, moving right along, going back to the Lakers, I just think that the reason I'm even bringing them up, let's start with that, is because news has kind of came out as they played Chicago this past week, losing that game as well, literally getting thoroughly beaten down, 121-103 to in a game that wasn't even as close as the final score would have you uh, believe. But 
you had the return of Alex Caruso and DeMar DeRozan, two players that the Lakers could have had, um, but decided not to in order to kind of continue on with their quest for Russell Westbrook, who has had, you know, an uneven season. He's actually shooting better from the field, um, better from three, uh, more rebounds, of course, and um, outs or more assists than Damian Lillard. Just wanted to kind of go into that. Just a random note. Nothing to really buy into too much, but I'm just saying, Russell Westbrook is shooting better from three than Damian Lillard. That's that's just news. Just wanted to put that there. As of this Friday. So, yeah. But anyways, um, going back to that, you know, DeMar DeRozan thought it was a done deal. Uh, Alex Cruz will talk about how he came with an offer for the Lakers that was just really measly. I think me and Anarud talked about this earlier in the week. The Lakers declined it. Alex Cruz came back with less money, and the Lakers declined that anyway. And at a certain point, whether or not the Lakers go all the way, whether it's a finals appearance, whether it's, you know, conference finals, second round exit, first round whimper, heck, if they, if they win the whole damn thing. Like, I don't think you look at Rob Palenka and the Lakers front offense to say that they won this title because of the Lakers front office. I think we're past that. If they win it, it's because LeBron. Unfortunately, injuries may play a factor. Teams may collapse down the stretch. AD may decide to play up another level. And Russ can be a little bit better than what he is, but they're not going to win this because of Russ entirely. Like, they're not going to win this because of this revamp roster of older vets and young players that are all pretty much on vet minimum contracts. Like, this looked like a really kind of sweeping transformation of the team, with the hope being that Russell Westbrook could carry the Lakers when LeBron James and and or AD either weren't playing well or weren't in the game or whatever the case may be. That hasn't happened so far. And yes, Russell Westbrook is an early or late starter in terms of getting himself going come the season. But like, you bring him in for these games, right? We knew LeBron James might be dinged up. He wasn't going to be Superman forever or Terminator, whatever you want to call him. Like, that wasn't going to be a regular thing for him. And without LeBron, the Lakers have been floundering. They look even worse than they have the year before when the Lakers acquired both Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell to survive for minutes that LeBron was on the floor. Like, the Lakers are even less equipped now to handle playing without LBJ than they have been in years past. And that's an issue. Especially when you've committed so much in terms of valuable play. Whether that is losing, of course, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Kyle Kuzma, the aforementioned Montrezl Howell, heck, even Dennis Schroeder, all of those gone to bring in Russell Westbrook, who has not right now validated the Lakers' faith in him, has not validated the contract that's going to be paid both this season and next season. It hasn't happened yet. And that's concerning for a Lakers team that is 16 games in, going into 17 tonight. You can't say the season's early. Yes, it's early in that we're a month in, but it's not early in the sense that Lakers should be making some headway. What do they say? It's getting late early. That's what it is for LA right now. It's getting late very early. They need to shape up and snap out of it. Yes, DeMar DeRozan would have been amazing. You know, Alex Caruso would have been great. The guys I mentioned would have been nice to have them around, but the dwelling on that is over. It's how do you adjust now? And a lot of that comes down to LeBron's health. When he's back, how's he look? The chemistry. Trevor Reza and Kendrick Nunn still have not played and are still yet a ways from getting on the court. Austin Reeves who came in and had some valuable minutes. The rookie played well, was a, a second kind of ball handler initiator, second side offense, good shooter. He'll be out till after Thanksgiving. So you have to weather the storm still with some injuries. You are playing, of course, some lines that you wouldn't really necessarily want to be playing. You're playing DeAndre Jordan more minutes than any team wants to play him right now. You know, Carmelo Anthony is admitted to being tired because he's getting worn down at 37, playing a lot more minutes than he probably anticipated playing. But also, some of this is on Frank Vogel. Some of this is on Frank Vogel. 
because adjusting late, third quarters have been horrible for the Lakers. They're dead last in most statistical metrics when it comes to the third quarter and their own overall team performance. That is pathetic. Just utterly pathetic. If you look at how Vogel has deployed the starting five and who comes off the bench and certain lineups on the floor that have Russell Westbrook and Rajon Rondo as your starting point guard and shooting guard. That shrinks the spacing so much. Anyone can see it. I don't even know how AD can breathe out there when he's on the floor with them. Any poor fella in the middle, in the mid-range. Carmelo Anthony, goodness gracious with that backcourt. It, it's it's sad. And the sad thing is like some of that is coaching. Some of that is knowing who to play, who not to play, playing to your strengths. Mitigating your weaknesses. That hasn't been totally great on Frank Vogel's part. I'm not saying off with the guy's head. I'm not saying go for his job or anything like that. For one, again, injuries play a major factor, like I mentioned. Two, what are the alternatives? David Fisdale? I mean, come on. We've seen him in, what, Memphis? <laughs> New York, most notably. Not the most imaginative offensive coach in the world. And defensively, he kind of is what he is. So right now, the Lakers are stuck between a rock and a hard place and just have the hope the roster they put together wakes up and decides to perform the way that they had the hope to come, right? It's not ideal. It certainly isn't ideal. But it is the reality of the situation for the Lakers. And it starts tonight again. We'll see what happens. Is, a, is it an encouraging win over an undermanned, uh, kind of dysfunctional Boston Celtics squad? Or is it another demoralizing loss? After that, ask the same question against Detroit. Rinse, wash, repeat for the Knicks. I mean, we can do this all day. We're definitely going to keep watching the Lakers for a number of reasons. They're a polarizing team. One of the NBA's marquee franchises. My personal favorite team. Like, There's a few reasons why the Lakers will be topic of conversation. Um, and in fact, on my next show, I'm going to be talking about teams that have some worrying signs. Teams that should have cause for concern. I'm actually not going to bring up the Lakers because we're talking about them now. But they would be number one on this list. Absolutely number one on this list. So it's definitely something to monitor. Stay tuned for. Uh, but with that... Let's go to the Round Ball Ramble mailbag segment. So my first question comes from my good friend and founder of the quote-unquote fun trade, Justin Match. You can follow him at JustinMatch26. He asked me, who are you taking one-on-one? Prime Michael Beasley or Prime Monte Ellis? So I had to look back. I'm a big fan of both those players. They are my pantheon of favorite players, right next to, of course, Russell Westbrook, Terry Rozier, and Latrell Sprewell. So looking at Michael Beasley, looking at Monte Ellis, looking at their prime year, for Michael Beasley, it had to have been his age 22 season in the 2010-2011 NBA season for the Minnesota Timberwolves, where he averaged 19 points, 5.6 rebounds, and 2.2 assists. He shot 46% from two. Not super great. Wasn't his most efficient season from there. But he shot 36% from three. Um, considering the volume, one of his more efficient three-point shooting seasons. He did shoot um, two more years, three more years more positive than that. But the attempts were definitely uh, significantly slimmer. So that's Michael Beasley's prime year. Nine, basically, 26-3. and three. Not bad at all. Monte Ellis peaked, in my opinion, in the 2009-2010 season. His 24 age season, where he averaged 25 points, 4 rebounds, and 5 assists, shooting 47% from 2 and 33% from 3, which, you know, not super great there. Uh, Looking at these guys, basically for Monte Ellis one more time, 25 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists, we're looking at their prime years. Who helped more to winning? Well, eh, it's unfortunate, but both of those players, uh, 
did not have winning seasons during their career years. The Minnesota Timberwolves, with Michael Beasley leading the way, finished the season with 17 wins. Wow. The Golden State Warriors, with Monte Ellis, and Don Nelson's, what, next to final year as head coach, finished the season with 26 wins. So, again, neither team was making the playoffs. We were not going to see either of these two gentlemen on the big stage. Michael Beasley. With the Minnesota was one of the few years that he had that he was a, uh, I want to say a decent sized volume shot taker. Uh, he took 17 shots a night. That is his career high by a significant margin. The next um, most shot attempts he had was the season before in Miami. We averaged 13 shot attempts per game. After that, it seemed like his sweet spot was about 10. And then, of course, as the years kind of shifted away, so too did his uh, shot attempts. So you're looking at someone who was taking, uh, uh, kind of leading the way alongside Kevin Love in terms of scoring and, and taking a large volume of those shots. From three, he was decent. Um, he was definitely a lot of a mid-range shooter, definitely could score in the post, was really good there. Uh you know, lefty guy, loved that, had some size on him, could play, uh, you know, kind of beast around the rim, enjoyed that for sure. However, Monte Ellis takes this for me, and Monte Ellis takes this for me because the dude was electric that season one. Could have made an argument if, you know, he wasn't on a team that basically sucked for it, and he wasn't playing the league's most stacked position, I would say, during that time, when you had guys like Kobe Bryant and Brandon Roy and other luminaries at the shooting guard position. You could have made a strong case for him being an all-star that year. Uh, he averaged the most minutes of his career, 41. He shot the most efficient, or one of the most efficient seasons. He actually was more efficient the year after. But in terms of, you know, contributing from scoring, leading and scoring there, also being a guy who was setting up, gentlemen, at least four assists. Demonte Ellis is some decent playmaking as well. I gotta give it to Ellis. I think that I look at his numbers, and they're like, borderline all-star numbers where I look at Michael Beasley's numbers for that for his career year and they're just decent you know just decent to good but this guy's good to sub all-star so it has to be Monte Ellis um if it sounds like I'm kind of shaking kind of losing my my grip I am because I never really delved too deeply in my favorite players seasons and now I'm looking at them and the fact they're not super super great is shaking me to my core anyways we press on from my good friend at Ali underscore oop underscore Coop. That's Cooper Porter Jr. Which rookie is most likely to make it into my pantheon of favorite players other than Jalen Green? Jalen Green, man, I like him. Definitely not the most efficient. Usually, haha, that gets you on my list. No. But aside from that, um, has some just has that juice. A fun player that may not be like quote unquote, you know. I don't want to say analytically friendly, but someone who I look at pride as being more of a fun player to watch than anything else. Team success be doggone to a certain extent for me. You know, how he's playing schematically, analytically be doggone. Is he a fun player to watch? He's someone you go and you know, you're like, hey, I like that guy. Like, he just gives me some pop. He gives me some juice. I got some energy. I just want to go, That's what I feel with Jalen Green. I would add Kevin Porter Jr. to that list. And actually, I'm going to go through most of my players I have for this season as my favorite. All right, so we start with the honorable mentions. Those are Alperin Shangun, Kenyon Martin Jr., Fred Van Vliet, and Gary Trent Jr. Now we go to the locks. Russell Westbrook's a lock. Jalen Green's up there. Anthony Edwards, to answer the question, would definitely be another guy I add to that list, if not already. He takes Terry Rozier's spot for me. But uh, Malik Monk, Montrez Harrell, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Cole Anthony, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Anthony Simons, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, Andrew Wiggins, R.J. Hampton, 
Aaron Gordon, Trey Murphy, Paul George, Malik Beasley, Marvin Bagley, Terry Rozier, of course, Miles Bridges, Keon Johnson, and Kelly Oubre. That is the 2021-2022 Corbin NBA All-Star list. Those are my guys. Those are my guys. I will not repeat them. Those are my guys. Definitely make sure to check those out. Okay, I'm just kidding. Don't definitely make sure. But if you do, it's okay. But for whatever reason, aesthetically pleasing in terms of game, just the fire that they come with, the energy, the passion, the shot attempts, lots of shot attempts, those are my players. Uh, Cooper, thank you for the question. Uh, That was an honor to answer that. Dylan, my good contributor Dylan, at Ted Stepien, asked, does kid make it through the year? Well, Dylan, I'm not quite sure about that. Very interesting that you ask. So far, the Dallas Mavericks have been okay, you know, they, um, they've been okay, <laughs> they're playing the last couple of games at Luka Doncic, who has been out, um, with an ankle injury, uh, but aside from that, they're fourth in the, in the West, they've had some uneven games for sure, uh, but at the same time, they gave a great effort against the Suns being down Luka Doncic, they have, um, wins over, you know, teams I think they should beat such as the Spurs, the Pelicans, the Kings, uh, the Celtics. They they fought gamely against the Bulls. They won a tough one against the Mavericks. Like, they have some wins there. At the same time, their schedule is going to get a little tougher. They have the Suns tonight at 8, followed by the Clippers twice, uh, basically, I think, a home and away. No, they play the Clippers at home both times. So that'll be Sunday and then Tuesday. Then they play the Wizards, the Cavs, the Pelicans again for two games, and then the Grizzlies and Nets. So, you know, the rest of November and December will be fairly challenging for Dallas, and I think then we'll see what they're made of. As far as, like, coaching scheme and everything, I don't know. I haven't, I'm not going to lie and say I've watched Coach Kidd in that detail to say, okay, you know what, like, this guy is just doing a horrible job, or, oh my goodness, he's amazing. I don't like the fact that he does tend to kind of skew toward bigger lineups. He's not the hugest fan of the three-point shot in the sense that he almost encourages the mid-range shot to a degree that's like, are you trying to make this a part of your game plan, or is this like a, a, a chip-off, like a veer off of conventional NBA thinking, which is fine if it works. You know, and right now, I, it's so far okay, but then again, I mean... I don't know, I wasn't the biggest fan of the moves that Dallas made in the offseason anyway, so I can't really jump on them now and say, oh, they're underperforming, when I didn't like what they had before the season even started. I thought that they need to have another primary ball handler behind Luka Doncic that was not Jalen Brunson, which is no disrespect to Jalen Brunson, because he has been amazing, but it was just saying that they need to be more there. So I do feel like now I'd just be kind of jumping on Kid. At the same time, I mean, it's Jason Kidd. So, I'm going to leave that where it is. Dylan, the answer to that question is incomplete. I do not know as of yet. But, you know, come catch me for a December's mailbag around this time. And we can look back and kind of see the run that they've had or the slump that they've had. And then kind of go from there. Because it will be interesting. I, I know that for sure. I'm going to close out here with just a little bit of news. Uh, we start with news, I understand. But I totally neglected to mention that... The Wizards extended GM Tommy Shepard's contract. Uh, it was definitely a, 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 a contract extension that, in my mind, was well-deserved, uh, considering the team's fast start and the ability of Shepard's to have gone and not only rebuilt this team three different times in three consecutive years, but made them better each year. So, definitely enjoyed seeing that. Um, if you think about the Wizards in the 20... Uh, 
2019-2020 season. It was no John Wall. He was there, but he was just injured. And then, of course, you had um, Bradley Beal and just kind of this just kind of vestige of, of, of a team, you know? Um, hope I used the right word there. Then you go from that, making the trade for John Wall for Russell Westbrook. That gets you a playoff berth. Yes, a slow start, but seeing how they finished off and the fact that they made the playoffs for the first time in a couple of years is pretty cool. Then you take that and you trade Russell Westbrook for just a litany, as it turns out, of quality players who know their role, whether that be big man Montres Harrell, who has been just a steady scorer all season, as he's been for most of his career, whether that be Kyle Kuzma, who's had more of a featured role, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, a classic 3-and-D guy who, along with Kuzma, have won championships. That opens up the money for the Wizards to sign a point guard in Spencer Dinwiddie, who has gone above and beyond so far in terms of being a fit alongside Bradley Beal and the rest of this core. It also gives some, some continuity to this team with the returning um, Rui Hachimura, who has not played yet, and Denny Avija as well. And so now you have guys who actually fill positions of need, know their role, and are good to go. And that's always exciting to see for a young team. So, um, well, not a young team, but like an exp- a team that is trying to kind of get some winning ways and encourage Bradley Beal to sign on the dotted line for the long term. So definitely rewarding for, Brad- for Bradley Beal to have a team that, he feels good about. I mean, they're sitting number one in the Eastern Conference. Is it going to last? Absolutely not, if you ask me. But is that still a cool story? You bet your butt it is. So, that's dope. I like dope things. Shout out to that. Another thing, and this is more like an annoyance than anything else, but like, Stephen A. Stephen A, Stephen A, Stephen A. Whatever he has against Kyrie Irving, it's personal, it's annoying, and he needs to cut it out. He was asked yesterday about um, well, at this point, it was that two days ago, after the Nets basically got just walloped by the Warriors, uh, about basically, you know, the typical first take, how does this team feel after being beaten or losing one out of 82 games, whatever the case may be, these generic questions that allow Stephen A to open up and go on his tangents. Anyway, in any event, he unloads on KD, basically saying KD made the wrong decision. He came to a team with no help, which, like, I'm sorry, James Harden has not had a great year, but he is still right there. Also, looking at guys who have had, you know, decent minutes. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge came out of retirement, has put up some good minutes off the bench. Blake Griffin's shot has not come around, but the rest of his game's been pretty solid. Bruce Brown has given you good minutes. Like, uh, Patty Mills has been consistent. Like, what are you talking about? But that's fine. Stephen A doing what Stephen A does. But then he brings in Kyrie. He's like, you were betrayed by Kyrie Irving. And he's like, talking about Kyrie, who just caught a stray. Like, bruh, whatever we feel about... Kyrie Irving and vaccination stats and him not playing. He made the decision. Decisions made. He's out of the picture. Why does Stephen A feel compelled to bring Kyrie into every conversation involving the Brooklyn Nets? He goes from that tangent on why Kyrie betrayed Kevin Durant to how he feels that Kyrie should be cut or how he wants Kyrie to be cut. It doesn't really matter. It's all idiotic. And I'm just saying for once, like y'all, people who listen to Stephen A, please tell me why. Like I get it. He's popular. His rants can be fun. I've never found them funny. I find them less funny as I'm more aware of just general NBA basketball and his repeated attacks for no reason, but yet not give equal coverage to others who are also unvaccinated and are still playing or whatever the case may be, whether that be uh, Aaron Rodgers or Joe Flacco and other sports. Like He doesn't give the same coverage there, and it's pretty apparent. I'm just not sure why the conversation hasn't been had about that yet. Uh, Jay Williams tried to bring up one point, kind of got shut down. That was the end of that, and it annoys me to no end. I just don't get it. Like, it, it's clear. At this point, it has to be clear that he has a vendetta against Kyrie. Because why else is he just being pointed toward one Kyrie Irving? Why is it not 
to everyone? Why is he not going to everyone with the same agenda, the same uh, initiative? I mean, Aaron Rodgers straight up lied about it. At least Kyrie came out and said what he felt. Aaron Rodgers straight up lied about his status. And, I mean, you got maybe a, a tap on the wrist from Stephen A. He's yelling, losing his whole dang mind, going crazy. And this is what we have. It's ridiculous. I'm annoyed of it, quite frankly. I'm only uh, paying attention to that segment because it's basketball-related. Kyrie Irving, who, you know, I get it. But he's gone. Like, that's my thing. He's not He's not making a story. He Stephen A. is going out of his way to make Kyrie Irving a story, a story at this point. I can't even talk right now. Stephen A. is going out of his way to make Kyrie Irving a story. Going out of his way. Bending over backwards like it's the Matrix. He needs to stop. It's pathetic, quite frankly. And I'm just annoyed by it. Kevin Durant will be fine. The Nets lost to a better team. They might have lost to the same team if Kyrie was in the game. It really doesn't matter. What excuse would he have found then? I don't know. It's Stephen A. Who knows what he's thinking. But that is my rant on that because it was really, really annoying me. Anyways, that's going to do it for today's episode of Ramble Ramble. Thank y'all for staying with me for another fun, hopefully half hour for y'all. Make sure to have a safe and fun weekend. Keep rocking over here at Hoopball. Got a lot of great content and some really important news that should be dropping around this time. So definitely keep your eyes out open for that on Twitter at Hoopball Tweets online, hoop-ball.com. If you want any more ramblings from me, interactions, whatever the case may be, questions, comments, concerns, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. I appreciate y'all for that. Thank y'all for the love and constructive criticism in advance. But until next time, y'all, I am Frosty. Y'all stay frosty, and I will talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.